Caterpillar Goo, I'm Rod. Hi, and I'm Flora. This week I told a story at a live storytelling event about being a stay-at-home dad. Were you ever a stay-at-home dad? Unfortunately not. I hear they have a better deal than the stay-at-home moms. So I got the job of, actually I chose to be a stay-at-home mom. And man, was it hard. One of the hardest jobs I've had. I just came from college where everything came easily to me. got straight A's, excelled at everything. Become a mom, fail, fail, fail all over the place. So, yeah, parenting was hard and there was no um, grades to be handed out. No, no one awarding me, rewarding me for anything. Yeah, as a dad, I, I, I get that whole feeling like you're failing no matter what you do. But dads do have it easier because... We get so much positive feedback. Everybody tells it how wonderful it is that we get to do this. And they say, oh, what a great job you're doing. And Nobody told you that? Well, maybe they did. But I think I was more harsh on myself. I had high expectations and I was not fulfilling it. I wasn't crafty. I wasn't artsy. I wasn't a good cook. Didn't clean the house very well. Then when people would ask me, so what do you do as a stay-at-home mom? And I'd be like, I play all day with my kid. That sounds like a stay-at-home dad. (laughs) You should have joined our group. And it was hard to build puzzles over and over and over again. And Legos being broken up and crying and stepping on Legos. And and also, I lived in New York, so most of my stay-at-home mom stuff happened in my own house. I believe you were always outdoors. Yeah, I I decided early on that if we didn't get out of the house, I would go insane. So we went we went somewhere almost every day. We went all over the city of Austin. I used to know the city by playgrounds. You know, anywhere in the city, you said, "I'm going to be in this area." I'd be like, "Oh yeah, that's uh, Beverly Sheffield playgrounds over there." I know that. <laughs> and then as as uh, my son got older, I, I got to know what. What restaurants were near all the playgrounds? So we'd have lunch after the play date. So that's how I navigated the city. What? You never cooked and cleaned? No. <laughs> of course not. That's why I left the house all the time. So did you get hit on? Did, were you? Um, did people think of you as sexy dad back then? Because I hear that's what they think of you now. <laughs> um, no. Nobody nobody thought of me as sexy dad, probably because I did not think of myself as sexy dad. If you don't believe it, who else is going to believe it? But public speaking is fun. Telling a story was fun. This was my third time telling a story live. And you did an awesome job. You are more confident, relaxed, easygoing. You made the audience laugh. You were really, really good. The first time around, your voice was shaky. But this time around, you really seemed very relaxed. I was a little more relaxed. I wasn't as nervous as I was before, but I was still shaking. I thought the whole audience could see my legs shaking. No, but we did see your fly open. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's listen. Here's here's my story of what it was like to be a stay-at-home dad. It's called mom porn. Enjoy. So next up we have Rod Hayden. Rod's been about eight years in a stay-at-home dad. This experience made him older, wiser, and a little older anyway. <laughs> Tonight he brings to the stage his story, mom porn. 
Thank you. My fly isn't open, is it? Okay, good. Uh, in 2007, when my son was born, my wife and I talked about it and we agreed that we wanted one of us to stay home full time with him. Um, this was at the time, it was the leading edge of a time when the number of stay at home dads was really starting to explode in the US, mostly due to recession and unemployment, but we did it um, by choice. It seemed like for us to keep both full time salaries, so that we could afford to pay someone else to stay home with him seemed kind of backwards. So um, since we could afford to do it on her salary, but not so much on mine, we decided I'd be the caregiver and she would be the breadwinner. And in some ways, I was made for this. Um, from the time that I was six until the time that I was 19, my parents took in 38 foster kids, and most of those were under the age of two. So I had lots of experience with babies and diapers and bottles. And uh, when I was a kid, my mom liked to say things like, uh, you know, someday you're going to make somebody a great wife. <laughs> and I think for a lot of 12-year-olds, that, that could have been um, traumatizing. <laughs> it could have been mortifying. But for me, I was like, oh, thanks, Mom. Um, <laughs> So I was ready for it. I was ready for this experience. But I was also kind of nervous because I didn't know what I could do part-time to supplement my, my, my wife's income. And I didn't know how I would fit, on, fit in in the playgrounds. I thought moms would be uncomfortable around me. Like they'd think maybe I was a pedophile or they'd be threatened in some way. Like they'd think that I didn't belong there. So I wanted to find a community of uh, like-minded dads that had done this before and they'd had the experience. So I did what we do, I Googled it. And it uh, didn't take me long to find the Austin stay-at-home dads. And it was a great group of guys. There's about 200 of them. Not all of them were active in playdates, but uh, I met some great guys. And uh, they did a wide variety of things. There were photographers and real estate agents and graphic designer and animator, and uh, they were great guys, but uh, it didn't really help me figure out what I was gonna do, because they were so specialized that you don't suddenly become an animator part-time. So <laughs> that didn't help, but uh, it, was, it was a great group of guys. And uh, to hear the original founders of the group talk about it, the group was about four years old when I joined. To hear them talk about it, they talked about forming this group, it was like, a vehicle for cooperative action, for mutual protection and support for a minority population in a hostile environment. <laughs> they talked about showing up on the playgrounds with their kids and the moms giving them stink eye, moms even pulling their kids away from the dad's groups or, or just leaving in mass when the dads showed up. And uh, they even, when uh, later when I was in charge and I was approving members, I approved a mom that wanted to join. Uh, she said she wanted to join a dad's group because mom groups have a lot of drama. But <laughs> clearly the dad's group had its own drama because on the message boards it blew up with these original founding members who were like, oh, we can't have a mom in the group, you know. And it wasn't so much like, it wasn't like no girls in the clubhouse kind of thing. It was more like four dads, five dads, you know. So... <laughs> 
But in my experience, the moms were never anything but inclusive and friendly and welcoming. Um, my son and I, we got invited to join a couple of uh, just small neighborhood moms groups. And we went to play dates, and they were super friendly. They, they organized activities and games for the kids. They potlucked at each other's houses. You know, they, they shared resources and cost and labor in a very beautiful way that the dads didn't do at all. Um, and they were very friendly and very welcoming. In fact, it could be a little disconcerting how welcoming they were. And sometimes it felt even a little emasculating. Like, I had never in my life found myself in a situation where I'm talking to five different women about episiotomies and pregnancy incontinence and all the gory details of C-section recovery. It had just never come up before. The subjects had never come up. And I'd never found myself in this situation either, where I'm in conversation with a woman and without pausing without breaking eye contact, she suddenly whips out a breast. <laughs> and I get it. I mean, I tried to be the progressive male, and, uh, you know, but I tended to overthink it. I would think, do I, do I keep eye contact? Do I, do I avert my eyes? Do I get up and, you know, go for a walk? I, I don't know what to do. So <laughs> those, thing, those kind of things didn't happen in the dad's group. Those subjects didn't come up. The dads, they didn't do crafts. They didn't do activities. They didn't do playdates in each other's houses. What we mostly did in the dad's group is we stood around playgrounds drinking coffee and not talking in that particular way that men getting together can not talk. And, uh, you know, occasionally refereeing a disagreement with toddlers or, you know, rescuing the kid who climbed up higher than they could climb back down again. Um, and eventually, as the original founding members' kids started aging out and going to school, some of the new guys started taking leadership, like me, and I eventually became... Um, what the dads called the governor. Um, this was before Walking Dead. I didn't have to wear an eye patch. Um, but I did schedule playdates, and I approved new members, like the mom. And um, I was the media contact. So sometimes we'd get contacted by grad students that wanted us to fill out surveys and participate in studies about how we felt about what we did and how it affected our sense of our masculinity and our relationships and that kind of thing. And sometimes we would get contacted by journalists that were working on the stories. So when my son was about three, I got contacted by a freelance writer who was working on a story for a national women's magazine. And he made it clear from the very beginning that he'd, he'd already written the story. He just wanted us for quotes that he could plug into the story. and support his preconceived ideas about what it meant to be a stay-at-home dad. And I, I had no faith in what those preconceived ideas would be. We'd seen stories over the years um, that mostly followed the archetype of that most famous of stay-at-home dads, Mr. Mom. So whatever we did, when people thought of us, they would picture Michael Keaton in safety goggles and rubber gloves with a clothespin on his nose, 
handling dirty diapers with salad tongs. And that wasn't how I felt about myself or what I did. It wasn't how the dad's group felt about themselves. So I told the writer that we didn't have any interest in being cartoons. And he said, no, you're looking at this the wrong way. I have no interest in making a caricature out of you. This is for a women's magazine. Have you ever read one of those? Those things are all about sex. <laughs> Women do not want to read about men being incompetent. Women want to read about men getting the job done. <laughs> so what I write, he said, is mom porn. So with that, of course, I was completely on board. <laughs> But it was still, it was a frustrating process. It went on for weeks. They'd say, you know, he'd say, schedule a play date that we can come to. And then he'd waffle and say, well, maybe next week, maybe the week after. And he never showed up to interview us in person. He did all his questions by phone and email. And the photographer never showed up. So one of the dads, who was a photographer and had taken lots of pictures of us, and our kids over the years and did a great job. He stood up and, and filled in and took the pictures. And then months went by and we didn't hear anything. And uh, then almost a full year after he first contacted me, he said, it's coming out next month, you'll be in it. And so when it came out, I bought one. Of course I bought one. In fact, I bought, I bought three. Because um, I knew my mom would want one and my mother-in-law would want one. And it's not, it's not quite as embarrassing for an almost 40-year-old man to buy three copies of a women's magazine as it was for the teenage version of that man to buy, you know, Playboys and penthouses. But it was close. <laughs> so I got the magazine and I flipped through it and way in the back... I found our story, it was around page 150 or so, and it had pictures of me and my son that were about postage size stamped. And all of that back and forth and frustration, it turned into an article not just about our group, but about three other dads groups nationally. And of course the writer gave us all nicknames and personalities. There was the, the diplomats and the communicators and the adventurers and because we were from Austin, of course, we were the chilled out dudes. <laughs> so all of that boiled down to 268 words about our group. There were two pictures. They quoted me and one other dad, and they misspelled that dad's kid's name. <laughs> there was not one single meaningful sentence in the whole thing even when, and maybe especially when they were quoting me. But I still have the magazine. It, it sits in a drawer in my dad's. And, and uh, my son, who's 10 now, sometimes he asks to see it, and he looks at it. And I hope that it helps him remember that we had that time when we did everything and went everywhere together. And uh, I didn't... I didn't quite come across like the sexy beast that I thought I would when he promised we'd be mom porn. But every now and again, in conversations with strangers, my son will very casually let it drop 
that we're famous. <laughs> and that's almost as good. <laughs> Thanks. Well, thanks for listening to this live storytelling event. I'm sure there's going to be many, many more to come. Rod will be doing them all. Maybe I will eventually do it next year. It was fun. You should do it. It's kind of an adrenaline rush. And then everybody tells you afterwards how wonderful you are. So it's great. Just like being a stay-at-home dad. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.